Today on The Black Goat, we talk about kindness. Where does it fit into how we approach our work and treat other people as academics? And a letter about how the open science and replicability movement in psychology is relevant to other disciplines. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Black Goat. Uh, my name is Sanjay Srivastava. I'm here with my co-hosts, Alexa Tullett and Samin Vizier. And Samin, we decided before we started recording that we're not going to talk about our big Twitter fight. Um, we can't. Our topic is kindness. So we can't yell at each other today. I know. <laughs> I, 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 so we're not going to talk about that. But uh, um, no, we. It was. I didn't, I didn't think it was blow. But uh, there was a like some Twitter back and forth about the definition of pre-registration, whatever. But what I thought was funny was Chris Chambers replied and was like. I thought the two of you were like on the same page about everything. And I just, mm-hmm. I don't know what you, what did you think? I sort of laughed. Cause I was like, we, we disagree all the time. Maybe we yeah. just don't do it on the podcast. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think we disagree, but not in the big ways. So it's not as like heated or obvious or whatever. We like yeah, disagree at the margins where like most people disagree with us in a much, much bigger way than we disagree with each other. So to other people, we seem like we agree, I think. What's that saying? It's like the, the something of small differences or something? Yeah, the, the narcissism of small differences. Narcissism. Thanks, thanks yeah. for that, Alexa. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> what is it? The something? The, the, Which the something disorder that, is it? What is, is it the, the phrase, the two assholes who always disagree? Is that the, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, would, I wanted you guys to say it, you know. Yeah, yeah, you you pull that out of us. No, no, Samin and I, you know, it's our fights are nothing like the two of you. When I mean, when you guys go, at it, <laughs> I'm just like I have to leave the room. You don't have enough hair to pull. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, Alexa, what's up with you? What's new? Yeah. So while you guys were arguing on Twitter, um, I was going to the movies. Um, so I feel like over the past really like since I moved to Tuscaloosa so over the past like over five years I've barely gone to any movies and I used to go to movies all the time and I think like I think right now there are like quite a few good movies out so I've actually seen quite a few in the last couple of weeks um and one of the movies that I saw was I saw I Tanya on on the weekend which is the story of Tanya Harding um so first of all I felt like I feel this way, especially when it comes to movies. So like being a Canadian in the U S is really like a notable experience, but when it comes to like movies and some of those like cultural experiences, I feel like I can feel like sort of an outsider. And so when people were like, Oh yeah, it's the Tanya Harding story. I was like, who is Tanya Harding? (laughs) And then people were like, what? You don't know the Tanya Harding story. And so like, actually my roommate Jude told me like the entire plot of the movie before I went to go see it. Um, But anyways, I went to see it and I really liked it. And another thing that I realized, maybe as a function of me not going to the movies in a really long time, or maybe just as a function of me generally being technologically behind, is that like I was blown away by what people can do in movies now. So did you guys know that you can get a person who is a figure skater to do a figure skating routine and then just like paste an actor's face on that person? And it's a completely compelling. It looks exactly like this actress is like doing a triple axel. I, That's a question. I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I, I have I have this like dual 
dual response to things like that, which is like, there's a part of me that just knows how much the technology is advanced. And when I see stuff, that part of me is like, oh yeah, of course. And then there's another part of me that remembers what stuff used to be like. I mean, I did I talk about this last week? Like, I went to play Madden at the mall with my son because there's this like video game lounge where you can rent an Xbox by the hour and we don't have one at home. And I was just like, holy shit. Like I grew up with an Atari 2600 where you were literally, literally a square was like a knight going through a castle was like a square (laughs) and the dragons looked like fucking like stick figure ducks. And so like I'm playing Madden with my son and it's like, he, you know, scores a touchdown. They show Pete Carroll like chewing the shit out of his gum, like he just like he does in real life. And and I'm just like, geez, Louise. So yeah, so there, like I'm 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 I have this dual response, kind of like you know, there's a part of me that's like, oh yeah, of course they can do that now. And then there's a part of me that's like, what you're saying, that's like, I can't fucking believe they can do this now. <laughs> I know. Like I had that reaction too when I want um I. I played a video game for the first time in a really long time too. Um, the one where you steal cars. You Grand know? Theft Auto. Yeah. Wow. So me and that's amazing. Right, by the way, we have some younger <laughs> listeners right now who are laughing at us. They're like, <laughs> yeah. Sanjay's talking about mad and Alexa's like the one where you steal cars. And yeah, I, I think... <laughs> still play solitaire and Sudoku and I can't handle anything more advanced than that. But, but Grand Theft Auto is like, it's like you are controlling a movie. It's like so insanely realistic. Yeah. I remember this was this was maybe about 10 years ago or so. Like the first Grand Theft Auto had come out fairly recently. And we were at this like family event at my aunt and uncle and cousin's house. And they had like Grand Theft Auto on the video game system in their basement. And my cousin, who at the time was I think like four or something, was down there. And someone decided it would be like hilarious to let him play a little bit of Grand Theft Auto and they handed him the controller and he's like running around with like a bat like in the game like beating on people in this very like gruesome way and I remember just sitting there going and he just like just dove right into it and I was like oh this is why people have a thing about video games should have ratings because it's really (laughs) disturbing to watch a four-year-old like beat somebody with a bat even if it's virtual like yeah yeah I think the only modern video game I've played that I liked was Guitar Hero. I, I have yeah. never, believe it or not, I've never played Guitar Hero. It's fun. Yeah, that's and another one that's been around a long time, but I think it's like newer versions or whatever. Yeah, it looks modern. cool. <laughs> it's a shittier version of Dance Dance Revolution. In my I like Dance Dance Revolution, but I've only ever played that at the arcade. But I actually looked into getting an arcade version of Dance Dance Revolution. And actually, I should Like in your house? I went to the... In my house, yeah. I went to the doctor today, Whoa. and he was like, do you exercise? And I was like, damn it, I should have gotten the Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> you could totally be able I to would exercise it. every day. Now, do you, think, do you think if you had that, you would, like, sustain it for, like, months on end to make it worth having Pro- DDR Probably not house? knowing me, but I think it's, like, the best bet out of anything. That's so interesting. Like, people get, you know, treadmills or bicycles, and they don't use them. But right. I think compared to that, I would use DDR more. Maybe. It probably costs about the same. I was gonna say it's probably yeah, it's it's probably comparable to like a good. You have to buy them used for it to be affordable, but I think it's yeah, like it's not completely unaffordable. So wait, you would get the actual arcade game as opposed to like I feel like you can, but maybe you need a system. It would be so much fun to have the arcade game. Well, yeah, because and they I have the, like what else am I gonna use my house for? I have, they like, had the home version, but wasn't it? It was like a mat or something like that. It was right? a mat, like, yeah. Like, so no, the arcade one is like want... a hardcore steel, like yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, speaking of which, I wanted to put in a plug. This is so 
cheap, but we just had our prospective students and uh, they had some amazing prospective students. I'm so excited. And they listened to the podcast. So I just had to say that. <laughs> and if you come, I'll get Dance Dance Revolution and we can have Dance Dance Revolution parties at my house. I feel like this is also is that incentive for me to take my sabbatical. I feel yeah. like this is like this is like our version of like plugging like, you know, plugging our like, you know, books or our like right, you know, right. online this courses. This is like a huge like, conflict of interest. You're just like, <laughs> yeah. hey, Samin's students go work with <laughs> yeah, me. Right. Or Samin's prospective <laughs> students go work with Samin. Um, that's no. Yeah. You guys, if you're listening, you totally should go work with Samin. She's awesome. <laughs> i don't engage in this kind of talk but <laughs> i i feel like though this this could be bad because samin you and i have often had you the did, same yeah. people applying to work with both of us that that could be when we finally have our big fight yeah right yeah that would be <laughs> so it'll just be like a year from now like come I work think with we're me no, we split I think you've won some and I've won some of those fights. I, I, yeah, I feel like I'd, I've definitely gotten some. I feel like maybe it's just the losses, like, stay with it. I feel like you've gotten Being some. Too, right? I've, yeah. I've been super happy with the ones I've, I've wrestled away from you. So I'm, I'm not yeah. complaining at all. <laughs> I mean, if they want to work with you and me, they can't, they're, they've got to be awesome, right? That's true. Yeah. They've got excellent taste. Yeah. <laughs> Alexa, do you have anyone uh, that you want to put in a plug for who you're recruiting? <laughs> no, but but not because not because my prospective students were no good because I didn't have prospective students this year. Okay. Um, because I have. But just like people you like that you want to like. <laughs> doesn't have to be prospective. Anybody <laughs> you're like. I don't, I don't know. I'm not gonna play that game. I feel like I'm gonna, it's like it's like an Oscar speech where it's like I say two names You'll and then like six yeah. people are like podcast. That would be like super awkward if you had like multiple prospective students and you only named like one of them. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're like you're like Cheryl. I totally want you to come work with me. Yeah, right. Dead silence. <laughs> Uh, oh well maybe i'll put in a plug for one person and i think this is related to our main topic so um my roommate jude is uh, a very kind person and occasionally she is really mean to me because i need her to be mean to me and i've been driving around with like two i'm not i'm not exactly clear what the situation is it's like i have two tail lights out and a brake light or something like that so it's like the entire back of my car at night is invisible, except like one little strip on one side lights up when I break. <laughs> and um, she wrote me a carefully worded text that was basically like, stop being an asshole and get your lights fixed. It's not funny anymore. Um, and so Wait, is, that, is the point of this to warn all the listeners in Tuscaloosa to not tailgate you? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> If you're if you're a black goat podcast listener and you live in Tuscaloosa and you see the back of a 1983 Chevy something something I don't even know what I you wish I was that cool. uh, don't get too close you won't be able to tell when she's stopping and it'll be your fault because you're behind me it's so uh, yeah yeah I think I think if your taillights are out then it's the person behind you's fault for being too close. yeah I think so <laughs> uh, all right so. Why don't we, do we want to do our letter? Are we ready yeah. for the letter? Yeah. All right, let's, let's read the letter. Okay. Dear Black Goat, I'm a PhD candidate in a social work program in the U.S. As a profession, we are dealing with many of the same issues of the field of psychology. 
Specifically, there is a need to improve research practices, reporting of findings, and to foster an attitude of openness and transparency, among other things. I've spent the last several months on the periphery of the open science framework and SIPs and can't say enough about how much these efforts excite me. As a student and budding academic, I was curious as to whether SIPs was inclusive of related professions such as social work, given that the emphasis is on improving psychological science. Our professions often work towards investigating similar problems, albeit sometimes from vastly different frameworks, and it is not uncommon for the two to engage in interdisciplinary research. Signed, you can say my name or come up with a hilarious pseudonym. Why can't I say the word pseudonym? Pseudonym, no pressure. Well, obviously I felt that there was like too much pressure. So I just read that statement. And I was trying to say if we can turn that into a pseudonym, like it would be X. Anyway, yeah. Okay. No, that doesn't work. Sorry. So we'll just call him X. Y C S M. X. Me. Yeah. Okay. X me. That's an acronym, right? Is that? Oh, that's an acronym, not a pseudonym. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I like this letter because when we started SIPs, my fantasy was that there would be society, like sister societies in other fields, and then we would have like an umbrella meeting every however many years. And I think that would be really cool if there were like societies for the improvement of whatever science. And we've had Last year, there were a couple of people from ecology that came to SIPS with the explicit goal of learning about SIPS so that they could try to create a similar society in ecology. Um, and we've definitely had people from other disciplines at SIPS, some closely related, like marketing or organizational behavior, some a little more distant. I don't know if we've had philosophers. Um, one, one of the ecology Oh, yeah, one of the ecology. People. Yeah, Fiona Fiedler. Yeah. yeah. She's a philosopher. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean... We would never turn anyone away, like I don't. Where Sips would not, I don't think. There's no rules about um, that. You have to be a card-carrying psychological scientist. But I think it would be really cool if, like, people who were interested in starting similar societies in other disciplines, like, were interested in coordinating and going to each other's conferences and stuff like that. Yeah, I I feel like I mean Sips, the organization, even though it's got psychological science in the name, I guess there's. I could imagine if I were in some other field, a couple of reasons why I'd be interested. So one is what you're saying, Samin, that like someone might want to start up some similar effort in their own field. Another is that I think a fair amount of the stuff that happens at the conference could just be directly of interest and relevance. I mean, certainly the workshops... A lot of the workshops would, you know, if you're learning, I mean, some some of them are psychology specific. Some of them are going to be more general. You're you're going to a workshop on R programming or, you know, using the open science framework, which people use in a lot of different fields. Um, and so there there might also, even if someone's not looking to like start up the SIPs for social work or whatever, there might be specific things. Um, I think it also, you know, it, to me, it, this raises like interesting broader issues of how much of what's going on more broadly in the sciences around open science, replicability, all those kinds of things. How, how much of those things are sort of field general and how much are kind of specific to either the particular methods of a particular field or that different fields might have different problems. One might have issues with replicability and other might have issues with transparency or, you know, whatever it is, or that what replicability even means varies across fields, right? Like, doesn't mean your code runs in the same way in computer science versus like you collect data and it gives the same conclusion, blah, blah, blah. So 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you know, all three of us have been involved with SIPs, the organization, and I suspect, you know, we'd all love to see people from other disciplines come to the yeah. conference. But yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think about like, do you guys talk to people from other disciplines about open science replicability? Are they, is it your sense that like how much similarity, how much difference do you see out there? Well, one thought that I had, so I don't talk to very many people who are outside of psychology about replicability. Um, but I do find that talking to people who are within psychology, but not maybe personality or social psychologists, um, I do get the sense that there is like an extent to which you want, you would want to like avoid reinventing the wheel each time these like issues come up in different fields. Because sometimes when I talked to people in, yeah, other fields, like subfields within psychology, I get the sense that like a lot of their like concerns or problems or um, the, the issues that they're grappling with when they're considering making their science more open or more transparent are things that people have really thought a lot about and found a lot of solutions to already. Um, and so like, there's an extent to which I feel like those solutions may be transferable. And I'm sure this is very field dependent, but I think a lot of the general ideas can be transferable to other fields. Um, but but yeah, I'm sure there are issues that, like your example of, you know, what does replicability mean in other fields? And I hadn't even considered that. Like, I think that there there must be things that are need to be like completely separately developed. I, yeah, I just started a group, I'll put in another plug, at UC Davis for people interested in replicability and reproducibility and scientific integrity. And we had to call it that to try to catch, because yeah, when we say replicability, that other fields call that same phenomenon reproducibility, mm -hmm. what we call reproducibility, they call replicability. Um, but one of the challenges, and it hasn't started yet, our first meeting is Monday, February 12th at 3 p.m. in the Shields Library. Um, but one of the challenges is trying to figure out like how to make sure that people don't use too much jargon and things like that. Um, and also, I think there's this tendency when people try to talk across disciplines to like one common language is like technical stuff or like often that's where people end up finding common ground is like the more technical aspects of things or like focusing on a few narrower issues. And so I think one of the challenges is how to talk about these like big picture philosophical issues or like structural and norms and things like that um, and not just get down, get like immediately go to like like creating packages in R or things like that, which I think that's important too. And there, I think there's really good interdisciplinary communication about like workflow and technology stuff. Like I think people are pretty good at borrowing from other fields there. I think where it's harder is the like more logic and reasoning and philosophy and values and stuff like that. I think people don't like to borrow other fields values for, for understandable reasons, but there's important work that's been done and lessons that have been learned about those issues too. That would be really nice if we could figure out a way to talk across disciplines about those things too. Yeah. I mean that, you know, another benefit, this isn't maybe motivation to the letter writer, but to us is it would be awesome to have someone from social work or other disciplines tell us what they're dealing with and mm -hmm. what solutions they've been coming up with or how they interpret things in light of their values, because sometimes mm -hmm. you get really good ideas. And this is reminding me of, um, uh, Grace Binion, who's a grad student here at UO, was just at the, uh, she's involved with Sci Archive, and she was just at a, a meeting with preprint uh, organizations from across different disciplines. And she was saying in a very similar way, like, 
the idea, what even is a preprint, what do people see it serve, what function does it serve, like the norms, the values, as well as the specific like actual practices, she said, just vary so much across disciplines. And that a lot of what was going on at this meeting was people talking about like, here's how we do it in our field. Here's how we do it in our field. And she said it was really yeah. super interesting to hear that. Yeah. And to Alexa's point about like even just different areas of psych have these issues too. I remember very early on in the replicability stuff, I was in a meeting about, I think it was like when psych APS was trying to come up with this new rules for psych science submissions. And it was a bunch of cognitive psychologists. I think I might've been the only non-cognitive psychologist in the room. I can't remember for sure. No, I think Brian Nozick was there, but they were talking about like, okay, well, the authors have to disclose all levels of their independent variable and things like that. And like, I was like, I kept saying, like, you guys are only thinking of experiments. None of what you're saying applies to correlational yeah. studies. And I just kept saying that over and over and over again. And that's for a journal that supposedly encompasses both experimental and correlational work. And it's still very hard to get the language to not. And I think in the end, I didn't succeed. I think a lot of the language in a lot of replicability things is explicitly experimental. Well, and, uh, yeah, and I think that's been, I mean, that's been a challenge. I mean, to take pre-registration as an example, a lot of the you really want to have this fight no 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 no, no 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 to take the thing that, you know um like a lot of the early examples so so you can talk about pre-registration at this very abstract level as like what does it do relative to the file drawer what does it do relative to researcher degrees of freedom which is a very general concept but a lot of the and a lot of the early work on it would talk about it in these abstract levels but then it would give an example or you just go look up an example and it would always be an experimental two by two with a couple of DVs. And I think as, as it's sort of, as things have progressed, now there are more and more, there's more discussion of like, what does this even mean for longitudinal work, for correlational work, for other kinds of things. Um, but a lot of people, I think early on, would just look at that and they'd say, oh, well, pre-registration is for experimental social and experimental cognitive. It doesn't even apply to a correlational study or something um, and and because of the examples. And yeah, I think people really, you know, so having this interdisciplinary, these interdisciplinary connections helps people step back and think about the more, because you kind of have to, like if you're a, you know, an experimental social psychologist and you want to talk to a developmental psychopathologist about these issues, you have to start translating. And if you're a psychologist and you want to talk to a social work, person or a, a computer science person, you have to get out of your mold and talk about these things. So, mm -hmm. so I guess our answer for the letter writer is come to SIPS. Is that what yeah. we're saying? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we would love, Absolutely. I think the community of people at SIPS would love to have people from other disciplines. At, yeah. And it it's would... super flattering if people from other disciplines want to come like that. We would, I don't think many people there would, I think everybody would be flattered that they people would be, Oh, people would be super excited because yeah, they want yeah. to hear what's going on in other fields and they want to share yeah. what's going on in psychology. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Um, you can say my name or come up with a hilarious pseudonym, no pressure for your letter. Um, <laughs> and, uh, if anyone else is listening and you want to get in touch with us, you can email us your letters that we will occasionally read and respond to. Um, we love getting these dilemmas, queries, curiosities, whatever. Letters at theblackgoatpodcast.com. You can also find us on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at blackgoatpod. If you want to tweet at us, 
Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash blackgoatpod, and our website is www.theblackgoatpodcast.com. Cool. So our main topic today that we wanted to talk about is kindness and kind of the the impetus, like the reason we thought this would be interesting to talk about was a, sort of a couple of reasons. You know, there's uh, um, there's a lot of discussion, been ongoing discussion about sort of criticism and what should be norms of like critiquing one another. And a lot of times in those discussions, there's an emphasis on sort of bad behavior or, you know, what people don't like. And, and, you know, and there's not as much discussion about the other side of things, but also more generally, just the topic of kindness and how does being kind fit into the work of being an academic more generally, even, you know, stepping well beyond kind of civil discourse and criticism and just like, how do you think about kindness as something that you do in your work and as part of what you do? That seemed to us like a really interesting topic. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was thinking about like how much time we spend talking about how we can be kinder when we're critiquing others' work, but there's so many other domains of our jobs and our lives where we could be kinder. And some, and I feel like sometimes we're giving those bad behaviors a pass because we're focusing so much on being kinder in this one role of like when you're criticizing, but like when we're advising, when we're teaching, when we're being department citizens, when we're responding to requests to review papers, when we're interacting with our collaborators and deciding authorship order, like all these other roles we do. And some people are assholes and we all know this and we don't call that out, you know, like those things matter. People who are asshole advisors or asshole collaborators or asshole department citizens, Mm -hmm. that matters too. And I mean, not that, yeah. So that, that was my... So are we going to call this the opposite of assholes episode? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Did that, we have an assholes episode? Is that what I don't think we've had an assholes episode. That um, that might be... I mean, that actually brings up... We talked about open science dicks. That's, that's yeah. true. I got, I got a little bit of heat for that, I think appropriately so. Um, no, I think the... I mean, that brings up an interesting question, which is, yeah, like, there's the asshole problem, and then there's kindness, and, and it's sort of like the you know, positive psychology idea that, like, kindness isn't just the absence of being an asshole, right? So Mm -hmm. there's, but but I think what you're pointing out, Samin, is, like, we see people doing bad things in all these very many parts of what we do, these different domains, and and how do you, you know, positively bring kindness yeah, like, into your work. What are all the domains where we have an obligation to others and what should we do to meet those obligations and how can we go above and beyond just meeting those obligations? I think yeah. is an it's interesting like, thing to think about. Reminds Sorry. me of a conversation that we, like Samina and I had a long time ago, or at least I don't know if it was a conversation we had, but it was a thought that I had based on our conversation. And I remember thinking like I was picturing, um, I don't know. I, I think I was picturing a specific person, but I can't remember who now, but somebody who had like really like a lot of power as a, like a famous social psychologist. Um, and I was a graduate student at the time. And I remember thinking like how fun it would be to be a famous social psychologist because you would have so much power to make other people's lives easier. Like you're, you have all these different roles. You're like a teacher, you're a mentor, you know, you like make decisions as part of, you know, like as part of societies, as part of journals. Um, and so I remember thinking like, it's going to like, it would be so fun to get to that point and then have all of these like opportunities to be, um, 
like all of these avenues to be kind. Um, and then I don't know what it was that Simeon said, but I made me think like, actually, there are many ways in which I already have those. I am in that position in some ways. So like as a graduate student, I think you tend to sort of think of yourself as um, at the bottom of the hierarchy. And so maybe with not that much power to influence other people, but you still have quite a bit. So like, um, actually I'll plug, I'll put in a plug for, <laughs> since this is our plugging, <laughs> um, there are a couple of ways in which I, my graduate students, I think go out of their way to be really kind to undergraduates. So, um, one of my graduate students, Alex, um, basically like of his own initiative and volition has decided that he wants to like make the experience of RAs in our labs more positive. So he's sort of like restructuring the way that, um, we do that where it's more of an educational experience for them and less just sort of like, um, basically using them for manual labor. Right. Um, so he's like trying to set up meetings with them and make sure that they learn skills that are relevant to like, if they wanted to go on to grad school. And so he's created this new sort of like designation in our lab, which is the creative team, which are people who like want to be more involved and have like, um, sort of like a more integral role in a given study. They have more autonomy. Um, and that takes a lot of his time. And I think it would be easy for him to sort of see himself as not having that time. Um, but I thought that was cool. And then my, another one of my graduate students, Cassie is teaching psychology for the first time and decided that she's going to do, um, a flipped classroom, which basically I think takes almost twice as much time as just teaching a normal class. So rather than just like teaching lectures, what she does is she records her lectures at home. The students watch her lectures at home and then um, she comes into the classroom and basically almost leads like a tutorial. So they do like assignments in class. And instead of spending the class time just listening to her talk, they do work and she sort of supervises that. Um, and so, yeah, for both of them, I told them like, these sound like really cool ways to spend your time and they're very generous ways to spend your time, but these are going to take you a lot of time and both of them um, decided to do that. So I think, I think that's, that's a really cool thing to sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's easy to think that if you don't have much power, then you won't have that many opportunities to be kind or that it's easy to sort of like wait on those more powerful positions and think that like, you don't need to worry about it. And it reminds me of this sort of idea that like, I think it's very easy to look at very wealthy people and think like, it'd be so cool to be that wealthy. I would give all of my money to charity. And it's like, huh? for, for some of us, at least like you, you do have some disposable income that you can give to charity already. Yeah. I think it's, it's a weird shift in your identity when you go from thinking of yourself as a potential beneficiary of other people's kindness. Like when you see yourself at the bottom of a hierarchy to realizing that actually you could also be, the one engaging in kindness towards others. Yeah. I mean, obviously everyone can engage in kindness towards others. Like no, it would be ridiculous to think you're completely exempt, but I think the amount of obligation you feel you have, you probably, it's easy to tell yourself. Yeah. Like I have less obligation than the people who have more right. resources or influence or whatever. Right. But and I, I think that's, to, a, oh, go ahead. Uh, I don't mean to portray that as like a, a f um, as like a selfish motivation, like being in a lower status position and thinking that you don't have that influence. Like I, I guess like in a way it's sort of, um, a sign of humility, I think to like not recognize how much your actions could impact other yeah. people. 
I think it takes advisors a long time and some never figure out like how much influence they have. And I remember vividly the day that I realized like how important my behavior is to my grad students. I came into a lab meeting one day and they had been like whispering to each other and I came in and I was, I was like, what's going on? And they were like a little bit reluctant to tell me. And I was like, it's okay. You know, like tell me what's up. And they were, um, they were like, Oh, um, we were just, well, what, so in your last email, like at the end, you wrote dot, dot, dot. What did that mean? And I was like, oh, I need to like think about everything I do. And I could make or break their day with like a thoughtless, you know, abrupt ending to an email or whatever. Um, and that really, really stuck with me where I was like, oh, yeah, it's so easy to underestimate how much power you have to make other people happy or not happy. Do you guys feel like kindness is something that's, rewarded I guess that, that sort of complicates the definition of kindness if you're like incentivized but you know what I mean like in in academia in your you know like in your experiences do you feel like doing things that are kind are sort of encouraged supported or do you feel like sometimes it's kind of like I mean Alexa you were kind of talking about with your your graduate students how like they're they're doing these things that arguably you could say like, oh, that's, you know, they should be spending their time writing papers or what, you know, which I think is sometimes like kind of a, a, you know, not always true. But anyway, like, I mean, for you, for you guys now, like when you, if you, you know, do you feel like there, there are sort of impediments or discouragements to, to is that a word, discouragements? Does um, my personality count as an impediment? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which, which direction are you talking about? <laughs> I, well, so one of the thought things I thought about raising is like, what does it look like when an introvert is kind? Because I feel like I have a lot of kind urges. So the other day I was driving and I needed to stop to pee. And the, I stopped at a Starbucks and next to it was this restaurant called Fat Maddie's. And my friend Rich, his daughter's named Maddie, and I thought, oh, I should take a picture and send it to him, and then he'll know that I was thinking of him, and then I didn't. And it's my introvert. It's like this, like, no, but that's, like, a useless communication that doesn't carry any information, so why would I do that? And I just – so I have all these, like ur- – I mean, that's a small example, but I have all these urges. I buy gifts for people and don't give them to them because I'm, like, too reserved, and it would be awkward, and I don't want to have that awkward interaction. <laughs> like, I do things like that all the time. <laughs> So I think I'm less kind because of my introversion. Yeah. Well, I guess like it sort of does depend on how you define kindness. I think there's like a way to um, define kindness where it does, it's not like synonymous with warmth or synonymous with niceness, um, which I think actually we are, we probably agree that it is not synonymous with those things and that it's something more like, um, yeah, like uh, looking out for others. Look, yeah, looking out for other people. Um, but um, but yeah, no, I definitely think that not sending him a text is less kind than sending him a text. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in general, I'm sure my introversion makes me less kind often. Yeah, very often, and not just in the nice way, but in the like, I just don't express the things that would make other people's lives better. But to get back to Sanjay's question, are there impediments? in our academia or in our lives to kindness or is it not rewarded or somehow discouraged? I don't think as much as people think, I think people think that it's like you have to choose between your self interest or being kind, but I don't think that's as true as a lot of people seem to, or at least they act like they think it's the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I think, I mean, your point about the way that you 
interact with your grad students, I think is relevant. So, I mean, with undergraduate students, I think the way that you interact with them has a pretty big impact. Um, and you can sort of like, yeah, make or break one of your students days by like the way that you email them back or the way that you like respond to their questions or concerns or the way that you talk to them in class. Um, and those are like probably not what people are typically thinking of when they think of like the, the costs of being kind in academia. But I think, I think there are a lot of free ways to be kind, um, but yeah, I think some of the more sort of like the more costly ways will inherently just by definition take away resources from other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I mean, I think there's this like there are these opportunities to be kind that they're not rewarded, but they're not disincentivized either. They're kind of like right. you have to I mean, I think about, you know, when. And sometimes I feel like, especially when it's sort of people who are at an earlier career stage or or whatever, yeah, sometimes you have to remember what it was like and what's a big deal and what's not. So, you know, like remembering to to tell, like you go to a brown bag and a grad student gives their first brown bag talk and remembering to just tell them afterwards that you thought they did a great job, which you mm-hmm. actually did think. And it's like, you know, at this point in my life, I've given so many brown bags. Like, I, it's just like, oh, if you, if somebody told me I have to give a brown bag tomorrow, I'd be like, okay, I'll throw some shit together and whatever. But then I remember the first time I gave, actually, this. So we, when I was in grad school, we had the Berkeley Stanford talks where the two schools would get together once a year. We'd host each other and give talks. And I, my first year of grad school, I gave a talk at this thing. And I like borderline was like about to throw up before the talk. And I just, I remember like my body just completely was shaking and just, just, I was terrified. Mm. Um, And it's like, oh yeah, that's what it feels like the first time you give a talk, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and how much of a difference it made. There was one of the Stanford faculty came up to me afterwards and was just like expressing an interest in my work. And it made such a huge difference to me. I, I still I still was beating myself up afterwards because I didn't think, you know, I couldn't let myself think I did an okay job. But uh, um, it, it took a lot of the, the negativity out, uh, out for me that this person came up to me afterwards and, and was just like asking me questions about my work in yeah. an interested way. It's like that mm-hmm. that was, you know, those kinds of things. And so sometimes just the like, you know, whether it's a, and it, it's not even just with like, you know, people that are sort of younger than you or earlier career than you or whatever. It can be with peers. It can even be with more senior people, just like saying nice things to people that you think nice things about. Um, mm-hmm. that can, uh, that's, that's like, that just, it, it makes life more humane in academia when people are saying those things. Yeah. Sometimes the, those kinds of things have a huge impact too. Like, I mean, when you talk about like, saying things to people who are like even like above you on the hierarchy or whatever. Like I've gotten emails from students that are just sort of like unsolicited, like, Hey, like I like your class or I think you're a good teacher or something. Like that makes me happy for like two weeks. Like it's amazing. Um, Yeah. I actually think those, I think that compliments from people who are taking a big risk by complimenting you and like reaching out. I think those are really, really touching Maybe more than 
the other way around. Mm-hmm. And also, yeah, like Sanjay, to your point about perspective taking, like, um, I think we were having a conversation recently about like remembering people's dissertation defenses or like thesis defenses or remembering the date or something like that. <laughs> and like, and there was remembering like, to show up. <laughs> oh God. And like, we were talking about, yeah, just this like disconnect between like when, once you become a faculty member, you go to many of these meetings and they start to feel very routine, but like forgetting that when you actually do it yourself, it feels like a huge deal. It is a huge deal. Um, and so just like trying to make sure to, to yeah. congratulate people or, remember when it's happening or something like that. Yeah. I think those little things are really important and, and they're a big thing because they're actually like taking the time to think about what the other person is thinking and feeling. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really big deal. I think a lot of senior people stop doing that and I'm sure I'm guilty of that. And then I think there's also more concrete things like paying for students. Yeah. If you like ask them to meet you at a coffee shop, you should pay for their coffee. Like it's not a small deal to them that you ask them to spend an extra few bucks to come out to meet you at a coffee shop instead of in your office or, um, or authorship, right? Like those are big things, but mm-hmm. I think that's a part of kindness is, is being generous with not just for nothing, but giving them the opportunity to earn authorship positions. Um, I think that's a big individual difference among faculty that's important or there's just yeah sometimes I'm I'm amazed at what faculty think they don't not necessarily that they don't have to do because I agree like sometimes you're in a position where you could pay for something for a student you don't have to do it but it's like wouldn't it be so nice if people did do it and like recognize that it means so much less for them to give up that thing than it would mean for the student mm-hmm. yeah. I've I, you know I've noticed uh in doing reviews. So I started signing my reviews a little while ago and I, I, before I started doing it, I felt like I, I felt like I tried not to be like the jerk reviewer too. I've, you know, I always, I thought to myself that I was, you know, yeah, trying, trying to sort of be generous, even if I was being critical or whatever. And I think when I I thought about it a lot more when I started signing my reviews, I don't know if it actually changed them. And and there may be some people who've gotten signed reviews from me who are like throwing their phone at the wall right now, (laughs) or whatever. But uh, uh, I I think it's it's the accountability has been in some ways like has has made me think more about that process and in probably a very selfish way that I just don't like the idea of seeming like a jerk um and because if if i actually cared the anonymity shouldn't have mattered but uh um so i I probably shouldn't claim much credit for that but that that that's a domain where i think reviewing is is a domain where like you're you know and and this idea of sort of kind versus nice like you you know nice to me just means like you're smiling and going along and whatever and and Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, it's tough because that, that's a domain where you have to be honest and blunt and critical and all these other things. And so trying to just figure out like, okay, is there some way that I can say this that makes me a little bit less of a jerk? Or mm-hmm. is there like some way that I can point out the things that I liked, not only to like maybe 
let them know that, you know, make them feel good, but also like to actually help the thing through the process that if I remember to say the nice things, the, the sort of positive things that I found about it, that'll actually make it maybe more likely to get into the journal or it'll, it'll help the editor or help the whatever. So, um, yeah, I think like yeah. ki weaving kindness into your criticism without blunting the criticism is a really, for me, it's a really tough challenge. Um, I know I don't always get it right, but. Yeah. yeah, I think one way to think about that, like, is so I, I don't really do this when it comes to reviews. And now, like, you're um, you saying that you sign your reviews is like, that's an interesting idea. Um, but I think like so one thing that I've done when I interact with undergraduate students is so when I first started teaching intro psych, um, the first exam that I created was probably too hard. Um, but like they did really poorly on it. Um, and then I sort of like adjusted the exams a little bit after that, but I've generally kept the first exam really hard. Um, and one of the reasons that I do that is because like, I try to imagine like what I would say to one of my graduate students, um, and like the kind of difficulty that I would, Obviously, it doesn't totally translate, but the kind of difficulty that I would expect them to do and the kind of effort that I would expect them to put in if I was, like, really, really invested in them. You know what I mean? And so, like, when you think about somebody and imagine how you would treat them if you were really invested in them, sometimes it does mean that you make things harder on them or you have higher expectations of them or you sort of, like, push them more. Um, yeah. And I think I remember... Good. Yeah, I had there was a conference once where late at night at the bar we were getting into like a heated discussion about some open science thing, and um, I was debating with Erica Baranski, and we it was also like the narcissism of small differences, like we were broadly on the same side, but like found some sub issue where we were debating, and like I had moments where I paused and I was like I have a lot you know a lot more seniority than her, should I like back off and not like really fully engage in this debate. But then I was like, no, like that would be, that would be underrepresenting the amount of respect I have for her. Like, like I, I think that sh sh I really want to hear what she has to say. I really want to like push back against it and hear her counter arguments. And it was so interesting and fascinating. And I hope, and I tried to convey this, that I would only do that with somebody that I have a lot of respect for. And so I think in some ways it's, I mean, maybe kind is not exactly the right word, but it's like, yeah, way of treating somebody with a lot of respect and as, as if, you know, to reflect the fact that you have, you are invested and are willing to like invest in that, mm -hmm. that relationship to, to want to hear what they have to say and ask a lot of questions. And sometimes in a way that's a little bit, um, I don't know, but not, not necessarily nice, but not mm -hmm. nice, not the opposite of nice, just like niceness isn't the main, if niceness was my main concern, I wouldn't have engaged that much with her. Um, but I think that it was, yeah, like more honest and better overall to mm -hmm. to act how I really feel, which is actually a more positive thing than just nice. Yeah. It's like I've had experiences too where I felt like um people have sort of like they've complimented me about something that I feel like is obviously not impressive or it's obviously not something that like <laughs> I would be I don't know, like that I would think somebody would be impressed by. And sometimes like, I, this sounds like a, like a humble brag, but it's really not like, it'll be like somebody is like, I don't know, like, like, I don't know, saying something about mm -hmm. 
like a particular research paper or something where like, I'm not that happy with it or something. I don't know. And then it feels almost like an insult. You know what I mean? It's like somebody's acting really impressed by this and it just feels like they must have such low expectations of me to, to on this. So a kind of non-academic equivalent of that for me is I always know that I'm good friends with someone and they respect me as a friend if they don't invite me to something. If like I ask them, what are you doing Wednesday night? And they're like, oh, we're having people over, but do you want to hang out Thursday night or whatever? And then I'm like, thank you. Like you respect me enough and you know that I'm a reasonable person that you can tell me that you have other plans and not invite (laughs) me or whatever. And so I always feel like that is the like kinder thing to do is to be honest with somebody and say like, oh, I'm doing something with other people, but like, I'd love to hang out with you on another day or, you know, things like that. Like, I think it's treating someone as if they can handle the fact that you have other friends and that's more respectful than like walking on eggshells or inviting them, even if you actually wanted to not have them there for reasons that are not because you don't like them. There are lots of other reasons why you might not want that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think sometimes I take someone not feeling like they have to be nice to me as a sign that we can be real with each other and that it's a genuine relationship. And yeah, it feels kinder. It feels yeah, like a deeper kind of niceness or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like the, the difference between kind and nice is a really important one because I, I think that the, you know, the sort of more superficial nice can, you know, it, it, it can come from a lot of places. It can just be sort of politeness and, and trying to be kind of pleasant and that there's nothing wrong with those things. It can also be a way of avoiding confrontation. It can be a way to, and I, I feel like sometimes the, the nice that's not necessarily more deeply kind can Get in, like you're saying, Samin, it can it can get in the way of a relationship, mm-hmm. and it, I feel like professionally it can also get in the way of doing other important things that we have to do. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you know giving giving a a student feedback that they might be hard for them to hear, and mm-hmm. and this is something I struggle with because I feel like I have a lot of reflexes towards niceness and I, I have a lot of difficulties with conflict. Sometimes I'm, I'm, some people will probably hear that and laugh, uh, because I, I, it's very domain specific, but it comes up in, in some ways. Um, and you know, and, but also the sort of like, I, I think when it, when it is making us hold back on our critical faculties and just like, eh, everybody's doing good and we're all part of this happy community and so we're not gonna, you know, sort of trample on each other or whatever. I I don't feel like in the long run that that's helpful or that's good for, for anybody. Um, or it may be sort of in some very peculiar way good for somebody, but it doesn't, it's, yeah, it's not actually sort of good. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just to be argumentative since our topic is kindness and to contradict (laughs) what I said earlier, I also think, like, so I think the distinction between kindness and niceness is very important. And I think often it is the kinder thing to, like, hold off on being nice or even to sometimes do, like, say what people don't want to hear in a specific instance. But I also, like, going back to what we were saying earlier, I, I think that sometimes people treat those things as more at odds than they actually are and that like sometimes niceness is really great and like there are a lot of ways to just be nicer that I think like I think have a big impact so I remember like having this conversation with um 
a friend of mine, Elise, who's um, from the Netherlands, and we were both at um, in North Carolina at the same time. And she was just like so irritated by like American social norms. So she was like, Ugh, why are these people like asking me how my day is? And like, you know, it's like the cashiers like asking me how my weekend was. Like, oh, that's so annoying. They don't care. It's really fake. You know, it's like everybody's so nice. And she was really irritated by it. And, you know, like not, I mean, not to say that that was an invalid way to think, of course, like, you know, you grow up with different norms and stuff like that. But like for me, for example, moving from, um, from the North basically to, to the South, like, it's nice that people are nice to each other. Like people are really yeah. nice in Alabama. And I think like that's but, a cool thing. So I'm it's too bad you went to the South topic because now it's going to make what I say sound like a criticism of the South, but I was planning on saying this before you got to that point. <laughs> so to counter your counter argument like i agree with you that being nice in many neutral situations is really important but part of i think it goes hand in hand and is is hard to separate from people who put niceness ahead of justice and morality and so turn a blind eye so like sexual harassment or bigoted behavior or exploiting grad students like there's so many times when people just aren't willing to call those things out because of their instinct to be nice and yeah like i think that it's probably more common in the places where people feel like these norms of like being polite are really important. I think to be nice. I feel like that's just an instinct to like not experience. awkwardness. I feel like, I feel like Samina, I feel like you just like totally Godwin's laud Alexa. She's like, isn't it nice that people are pleasant? You're like, what about sexual harassment? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think the, I think the, I mean, this is what, you know, I struggle with this somewhat myself too, that like, and and I don't want you know there are there are different cultural norms for what this looks like and this isn't a critique of culture, it's more that sort of within whatever setting you are like whatever the norms of nice are, it's kind of like a pretty good default right like just sort of for for sort of superficial interactions with strangers or whatever and you know I I have a similar thing in Eugene because I grew up in New Jersey and people in Eugene you know you go to the store and they'll be like so. You know, this is like the cashier at the store while they're checking out. Like, so got any plans this weekend? And, uh, you know, me being from New Jersey, I'm like, fuck you. Why are you asking? You know, but anyway, (laughs) uh, but so like the norms are important. But I think whatever within whatever setting you are, it's kind of like a default. It's a default to get along. I think this is something, you know, there are certainly gender differences in how people are socialized to do this. Right. There's other differences. And I think the issue is not with the default it's when the default doesn't fit and you don't sort of jolt out of it so so being nice mm-hmm. because that's the default thing that you're supposed to do but there's actually mm-hmm. a reason where the the right thing and maybe even the kind thing is not the superficially nice thing but if that's your default it's like you have to jolt yourself out of that to to do that in those and, cases and I, and sometimes maybe um less um in less good faith, niceness gets used as a argument for not rocking the boat, not like, you know, like, why are you, like, why can't you just be nice? And so why can't everyone just get along? I think gets used. So I think niceness, yeah, it's not niceness's fault that it sometimes gets used as a poor, argument for not calling things out. Poor niceness. So I'm, I'm, We're beating up on niceness. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so I'm taking back what I said about niceness. It's not niceness's fault, but it often gets used as a tool to try to silence like people who are trying to raise awareness about issues or yeah. correct an injustice or something like Be that. Be nice. 
be nice. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a way to shut people down sometimes. You know, why can't you be nicer about this? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think like it would be cool if the whole civility debate could broaden out to like other ways in which we could expect our colleagues and especially the leaders in our field to be better citizens of the field and be right. Like I think that it would be nice if if that whole movement went beyond the narrow focus it has now to talk about being kinder and more civil and more generous in all our roles, all our professional roles. Yep. Well, is that a, is that a good place to end? <laughs> yeah, that sounds okay. good to me. Yeah, be kind, everybody. Don't be nice, but be kind. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't be nice. Uh, that's the title of the episode. Don't be nice. Okay. Uh, cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Black Goat, and we will talk to you next time. 